I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy Road Studios in the crap part of Soho, and from potentially the crap part of Cyprus, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Rog, where are you? Are you calling the San Rafael Resort in Limassol, Cyprus, the crap part of Cyprus, David? Is it not the crap part of Cyprus? Well, I can say I'm surrounded by, uh, and I was quite excited to be here. Cyprus has its own breed of donkey, the feral Cyprus donkey. Yeah. And uh, and the Limassol R- Resort has more than its fair share of feral donkeys, David. <laughs> Little horses. Little horses. They are. Will you please send oh. us a photo of one of the feral donkeys? Oh, my God. Cyprus is a very, very curious place. Do you know, it's, I was chatting to a security analyst because there was an explosion here a couple of days ago. A referee's car was blowing up. And the security analyst told me, that Cyprus has more terrorists per square foot than any other country in Europe. And then he told me, don't worry, nothing will happen. It's where terrorists go for, quote, there are and are. <laughs> but they won't ever bomb it because they love holiday making there too much. It's the most disconcerting logic and assurance I've ever received. So was the referee blown up in a football-related incident or a uh, political nationalistic uh, kind of incident? knows, but I think the fact that he inexplicably gave eight yellow cards in one game yeah. probably makes it someone, probably, one of the terrorists having their R&R. Well, <laughs> Howard, Webb, Howard Webb had better not go down there. Oh, terrorist R&R. So you're um, there, Rog. It's crazy, Dave. I am here. I was in uh, Frankfurt last night, and I don't know if you've heard about the Ukrainian FA yeah. emitting conflicting statements about whether the game was on or off or whatever. But it's been quite a uh, quite confusing and really rather wonderful experience. So you were going to be in Ukraine to cover this game against the U.S. men's national team. It then gets moved to Cyprus. Now there's some doubt about whether the game is actually played. Well, at least you got to see the U.S. men's national team in training, uh, Rog. How did well, they look? Well, better than that. Last night they, um, they uh, announced they weren't coming. And I, I had the, uh, the confusion gave me the heavenly opportunity to sit and drink with Syrian Dark until about 2 mm. o'clock in the morning. Oh, my. Word. Yeah. What were you drinking? Um, he was having a light beer. What kind of light beer was Serene Dark drinking? Um, I think it was a Paul Armour, which is very popular in Frankfurt, which is really huh. rather a wonderful city, I must say. They've definitely had humour lessons from Louis C.K. or somebody, <laughs> the Frankfurters. They were very funny people. But we were very worried at one point that if the uh, Ukraine didn't turn up, that me, Ian Dark, Bob Lee and Taylor Twelman would have to play the U.S. men's national team in uh, in Cyprus, and if Ian that, that would be a test of that minutes. would be a test of their defence. Oh, if he could give us a good seventy minutes, Ian, I'm fancy, <laughs> I fancied. But now we're like wondering: Are the Ukrainians going to come? They say they are now. If they come, who the hell are they going to send, David? Yeah. Maybe a Klitschko brother, maybe Oksana Bayul, maybe Sergei Bubkaznis. But um, we're here, we're here, we're loving it. Bob Lee, by the way, tweeted. I don't know if you saw this, but I look just like the new Ukrainian president, Arseniy Yatsenyuk. Yeah. Which is outrageous because he actually looks as if you and I had a baby together. <laughs> it's like Peppy Mel and the Ukrainian yeah. president had a baby. Oh, it's such a lovely uh, you and me together. By the way, if you're in Pussy Riot, David. Yeah. Imagine this should be a new segment of our show. If mm-hmm. you were in Pussy Riot, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. You, you probably got to be looking at Western Ukraine in Crimea right now and be thinking about shooting a video there. Yeah. If you're a Cossack, I know where you're going next as well. 
wherever pussy writer playing. Oh, I'm kidding, Dave. I've been in Germany for three straight days. So how was that? You have, I would say, conflicted feelings about Germany. Yeah, they're not really that conflicting. <laughs> you just <laughs> said that you like Frankfurt. You like the sense of humour up there in Frankfurt. I like the sausage. I ate a lot of sausage. A lot of sausage. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I may surprise you, but being there does make me think. Makes me think a lot about the war. Yeah. Every time I see a forest, I just imagine partisans creeping through. <laughs> I feel. I realise I feel about as out of place in Germany as Sir Alex Ferguson did at the Oscars. Did you see those photos? <laughs> I did not. Oh, my God. I've not seen anyone look more out of place than Dennis Rodman popped off to North Korea. Um, I watched the Oscars. Did you see him? I did. I saw some of it. I watched live bone bass red carpet. The German red carpet show. They were very big on David Hasselhoff, which wow. made me think he must have been nominated in multiple categories. And I flicked between the Oscars and Game of Thrones. That's Lloyd von Eich on fire. Cal Drogo's never been more terrifying than when he's dubbed in German. He sounds just like Per Mertesacker, and he looks like Sammy Kadira. But can we talk about Matthew McConaughey? I was dying to know what you thought about that speech. Oh, my God. Well, I think that he comes in for a lot of criticism for talking about God and his speech, and I kind of feel that this is where the people on the coast have got to remember what America actually is. He's from a... You know, small town in Texas, and you know he loves God, he loves Christ. You know what? Every man is in, every man God is entitled to his own. Every man is entitled to his own religion, and in that great moment in his life, is entitled to talk about it. What bothered me was the hero part. The, yeah, God, the his we hero. Should, we should, before, before you talk about it, he said, "God, uh, he said three things I need each day: something to look up to, something to look forward to." and someone to chase. You can imagine, I, I got the feeling exactly how pleased he was with himself when he came up with that in his, in his little chair. And then I was waiting to hear who it's going to be, who he was looking up yeah. to and looking forward to and who he was going to chase. And then you well, realised that it's family. himself. Yeah, himself in ten years. <laughs> He's his own hero. Yeah. There, there is some brilliance to it, one has to say. To have the future version of yourself be your own hero. Oh, I don't like the future version of myself. Really? Don't like it, but it made me think. Who are your mentors, David? Who do you who do you uh, who do you look look at? Well, I would say you know. It's, it's, I've, I don't know if I've ever said this to you before, but I'm I'm probably the first generation of men in the workplace who the first significant bosses, the three significant bosses in the early part of my career were all women. I was raised by women, Rog, in the workplace. Yeah, um, that's why you, that's why you love men. Well, now that's been replaced by Barry Hearn, of course. Yeah. Uh, my former boss, Lloyd Braun, uh, who's a character in Seinfeld as well. He's an amazing television executive, producer, and friend. And my father. And my brother as well. Those are my mentors. Oh, Not myself in 10 years' time. My, I was actually a better 10 years ago. A real list of mine. Yeah. Mine are Moonlighting Era Bruce Willis. Yeah. Not not a second after that, but moonlighting. Yeah, you can't argue with that. Not not Die Hard One. I think Die Hard One maybe the Nakatomi Building. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. Okay, didn't go like on. Bachelor Party era Tom Hanks. Yeah, you don't oh, care for him after. You don't care for him after that. No, he did his best work. He peaked too early. Scored yeah, too scored early. too early. That's Everything that's our analysis. Everything after that, I found, I found inane and, and kind of lowbrow. Yeah. Bachelor Party era Tom Hanks, unbelievable. Cameron and Ferris Bueller. 
Lou yeah. Longley of the Chicago Bulls. I love Lou Longley. And then the last one on my list, Matthew McGonaghy in 10 years' time. You know, you mentioned Luke Longley a lot. You know that there are friends of mine who tell me that, you know, everybody has who they look like on a good day and who they look like on a bad day. And I have been told <laughs> that on a good day, I look like Carson Daly. And on a bad day, I look like Luke Longley of the Chicago Bulls. This might be why you like me, because I look, I look a bit like Luke Longley. I don't believe in cosmetic surgery, plastic surgery, but I do believe if there comes a time when I do need to go get a little work done, I'd take a photo of Luke Longley. And say, Doctor, make me this. So, did you enjoy the Academy? You enjoyed the Academy Awards, Rog? Um, I did. I did. um, I mean, I I was really, I ultimately found it very boring and did get sucked into Game of Thrones dubbed in German. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm very very happy for 12 years of slaves. Something feels very, very, very right about that, David. Yeah, it was a good movie, I advise. A lot of people like to say, oh, God, I don't know that I can actually sit down and watch it or go to the theatre and watch it. It's really, really a good film. It made me want to go out and kill... It It did make me want to go out and kill white people afterwards. But it's a (laughs) uh, a very good film. I really advise watching it how I watched it under the conditions I watched it on. Which I were? watched it on the uh, Lufthansa flight to Frankfurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Okay, Rog, we've got a very full show today. We're going to run through all of the football. We're going to take your Ravens. And fresh back from Sochi, Rog, we're going to debrief on the latest in Russian hair product technology with America's sweetheart, Rebecca Lua, who's oh, going to be joining us later. I'm worried. I'm worried she's going to look down on us as little people now. Uh, I think she's big. I think she's big time now. Big time, Charlie. Big time, Charlie. Uh, Okay, Rog, you're in Cyprus for a reason. As we said, you're following Jürgen Klinsmann and the U.S. men's national team, the mighty Von Trapps, on a secret project. What have you seen from a uh, footballing perspective over the past couple of days? Tell me about training. Tell me about 18-year-old Bayern Munich phenomenon Julian Green. Green, green, red, white, and green, David. Oh. I say, first and foremost, it is magic, magic to see Jürgen Klinsmann in Germany talking in German to the German media while he's wearing a U.S. men's national team polo shirt uh-huh. and preparing to lead the U.S. team onto the field against Germany. It's just wheels within wheels, David. Yeah. It's and modern football. And half the rest of the squad talking in German to the German media, I would imagine. Yeah, I just spent the afternoon with a wonderful young guy, John Brooks, Hertha Berlin centre-back, um, father's from Chicago, he's Berlin born and bred, and um, he showed me off his new tattoos that he's just had done, I've just put them on my Twitter feed, his left elbow is Berlin with a little star over the exact place he was born, his right elbow is now a map of Illinois with a star over Chicago where his father's family still live. And that, to me, it's a fascinating, nuanced, subtle brew that really represents the best of global football. But you've got Mexican-Americans, German-Americans, when Nordic Messi's here. We've got uh, kind of Scandinavian-Americans, Icelandic-Americans. I mean, it's a very, very interesting time. No more interesting than this Julian Green. Fascinating gentleman, born in Tampa, moved to Germany when he was two. He's small, he's fast, fast as a blade confident, uh, he lacks a little physicality as any 18-year-old would do, but he's kind of like watching him and he was wonderful in training. He's not yet committed to the US, but he's thinking about it, he's thinking about it at Bayern, um, he plays for their second team, so he plays in the fourth division, scores a lot of goals, just came on in the Champions League, 
everyone there is talking extremely highly of him. He's a little bit like an American-eligible Jerry De La Faye. Huh. And Americans, on one hand, are afraid of a repeat of David Regis. Do you remember that? 1998, the French gentleman that yeah. they gave a hasty citizenship to. But they're also afraid of letting go Giuseppe Rossi, Nevin Sabotic style. Um, and I think he was here to get a taste of the U.S. national team culture. Um, and I've got a feeling the ball is in his court. I've got a feeling Jurgen Klinsmann's very keen on him, partially because of his skills, but partially because he sends a message to the rest of the squad. And this squad has become very MLS heavy, which Jurgen has made clear he understands. But as a man who wants players out of their comfort zone and to push themselves to the next level, I think he would like to work out a new way to push them out of the comfort zone. And I have to say, bringing in an 18-year-old kid on the eve of the World Cup, who didn't hold you in qualifying, he is most certainly going to push players out of their comfort zone and, and let everyone know, every player, Dave, that no one's place is safe. So it's very interesting. Did anyone else catch your eye in training, Rod? Um, we'll, we'll see tomorrow. I, 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 a lot, Brooks is an incredible physical specimen, little raw uh, tactically. Josie arrived. We'll chat about Josie later in the show. I mean, he. It, I think the US team is a place where he still feels good. And he, in training, my Lord, he was lashing that football. Um, Aaron Johansson, oh, admire that gentleman greatly. Looks like he is a natural, natural pitcher. So we will see um, tomorrow night here. But you, you get the feeling the toughest part of this US puzzle, Davo, is that Jurgen, not like Roy Hodgson kind of knows who his players are, the good players, play for the United, the Liverpools, the Arsenals. There's a natural way to understand how good the players are. I think the toughest part of the U.S. puzzle, Jürgen's measuring apples and oranges. How good is a midfielder who's lighting up the Norwegian Superliga? Is a young defender like Brooks, who's a substitute in the Bundesliga, better than an MLS hardened starter? And that's what makes this whole experiment so fascinating. It's like an optical There's illusion. something so American about that, though, Rog, isn't there? Because in American sports, you constantly have to do that. In picking teams for the NCAA tournament, you've got to pick teams from different conferences. In the BCS, in football, you've got to figure out whether a win in one conference is worth, you know, or a loss in a, to a great team in one conference is, is worth being unbeaten in another. It's just a peculiar thing about the unlevel playing field that constantly people have to analyze in U.S. sports. Well, please God, you'll analyze it well. I think here... I agree with you, and it's a great point, but the only difference is he's trying to work out what value a footballing education in the tough crucible of, um, of kind of Bayern Munich to come through that youth system mentally prepares you for a World Cup as well as, in his mind, as coming through at San Jose in MLS. So it's kind of like it's complete apples and oranges. And it's, it's both on the mental side, uh, the physical side, and the experience. But as Billy Bean said to us, last week about how he approaches Oakland, he says he's all, he'd always take inexperienced skill, pure skill, over experienced mediocrity. So I think it's a very, very, it's going to be a very interesting 100 days, David. It's interesting, Rog. Before we get to the football, I do want to turn everybody's attention to an amazing article that you've written uh, on ESPN.com at ESPN FC, an oral history of the 1994 World Cup. Because what's so striking oh. about that piece, Rog, where you interviewed pretty much everyone around the U.S. men's national team at the 1994 <laughs> World Cup and their thoughts and the build-up towards the tournament. Is that was a team similar, you know, of course, you know, American soccer is, you know, 20 years on from that right now. 
But still, these players come from all different places all over the world. They're still sort of underdogs in their own country, playing a sport that doesn't get as much respect as it, as, as it should do. And uh, in compared to the great, in inverted commas, players from around the world, from the great countries, the great teams, they did lack experience. And yet, the U.S.'s most successful World Cup in the modern era. Second, second most successful uh, after 2002. But yeah, you're I mean, right. a lovely man to say that. I, I adored the '94 World Cup. We both watched with wonder and admiration. Um, I felt honoured to write that piece. I felt honoured to speak to all of the players and the coach, Bora Milikovic. But mostly, Dave, I wrote it because I realised that all of the young US fans today, and I think the American Outlaws are one of the most fascinating outgrowths of US soccer that there's this massive fan base that follow the team wherever they go. So many of them. And Winalda said this to me in the piece. It's a four-part piece that runs all week. He said it makes him sad that already there's players who play for the United States team, the actual players on the 2014 squad, he said, who don't even know that the U.S. once hosted the World Cup in 1994. So if this puts it right a little bit, that would be terrific. And... I'll also say every GFOP is going to be at South by Southwest. If you're there on Sunday, uh, I'm going to have the honour and the delight of appearing with Jurgen Klinsmann live on stage uh, in interview uh, this Sunday. It would be great to see uh, each one of you. Where is that, Rog, at South by Southwest? You're asking me a question. I don't know the answer to right <laughs> you now. know I'm, I'm down there on Sunday. I hope I can come too. Uh, I'm down there with, you, with Watch What it. Happens Live. I, I can tell you where it's not. It won't be in the St. Raphael Resort in Plymouth. <laughs> it, it won't be interrupted <laughs> by feral donkeys or exploding cars. Uh, well, that's very good. Well, I, I can't wait to see you down in Texas, Roger. It would be great to see oh, you down there. And I hope you introduce, I'm, I'm very much hoping you introduce me to Jürgen. I really want to meet the man. Um, well, okay, Rog, it's time to get into EPL and Capital One Company, Company, Company Cup Talk. Uh, we are now uh, 28-38 through the Premier League season, unless, of course, you're Manchester City. You're only 26-38. That is uh, 14-19ths, or except in the case of Manchester City, a whole 19th behind that, only 13-19ths. Uh, a week of headbutts, German glory, Rog, in which some teams succumbed to their traditional proclivities and others continued to shirk them. I thought a fascinating weekend, Rog. Uh, but let's start by talking about the... Capital One, Cuppity Cup, 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 Cup. We had uh, ESPN.com's uh, NBA power ranker, Mark Stein, uh, on our radio show last Friday. He was taking his son to that game. Uh, must have enjoyed it very much. The quadruple is back on, Rog. Man City's trophy cabinet now contains a Capital One, Cuppity Cup, Cup as a thunderstriking <laughs> second-half comeback uh, slaps aside a shockingly Josie-less but hard-scrapping Sunderland. First of all, let's deal. No Josie Altador, not even on the bench for Sunderland. Yeah, what a um, what a shocker, really. I mean, it's a dark story. Just play a bench Josie and shocked America. Um, I think it was a surprise for Josie, as I gather. Um, I've seen him around training carrying a pair of cleats that have uh, Wembley 14 stitched onto the side. So he definitely thought he was playing. And I think he thought he was playing, and I'm not going to speak to him until tonight, I think he thought he was going to play right up until very, very, very close uh, to kick-off. But this is Pouillet's way of sending him a message. And the message that I imagine that Pouillet's trying to send is, Josie, you're too good for the Capital One Cup. (laughs) 
I felt sorry for poor B in sports. Their ratings for the company count must have halved from 12 people to 6 people. Yeah. As soon as Josie was left out, David. Yeah, obviously very difficult for U.S. soccer fans. However, you know, Josie has not had a great season at Sunderland. Sunderland have been somewhat resurgent recently. And Josie still looks like halfway there, looks like he gets the ball, looks like it's all there, but just simply for a striker has not scored enough goals this season. And he, has, he has moments, and Jürgen would say he's not getting the service that he needs. He still has the same touches um, that he's always had in every game. His shots have dropped off precipitously. I mean, I think when you watch him play now, it's a matter of confidence, and you see these action replays where there'll be a, a Sunderland player breaking towards goal, and Josie is not even making the runs into the box. It's almost like he doesn't want the ball. But I've got to say, there's good news, Dave. Yeah, I'm not believe... sure this matters for the U.S. men's national team. It's almost no, good. I agree. But yeah, it's just a happy place. It really is. You see him turn up here. He is so happy. It's a safe haven where he feels positive. Jürgen makes sure there's a circle of love around him. And he makes sure he's going to get the service he needs to Josie up. I think the U.S. men's national team may well be the place where he truly performs in 2014. But if you were his agent, David, what advice would you give him? You know, it's just like the World Cup is coming. Get your mind on that. You know, and try train as hard as you can for the rest of the season. You know, you're not in control of what happens at Sunderland and just focus on the World Cup. You know you're going there and you know you've got, you know, three very big group games to play uh, starting middle of June. I agree. He's got no choice but to stick it out. And if you're listening, Josie, they've got a beautiful local pie company there, Gelders, who make a sandwich called a Savoy Dip. And if I were you, I'd be making a lot of use of its wares. No Josie, Sunderland still started brightly. Barini, oh, fine strike. Gave them a Wigan-esque moment of hope against really a very flat city at the beginning. But then 1 minute 40 of wonder, change the time. Yeah. Absolutely amazing yeah, goals. Thumper. Why aren't there more goals like that in football? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and it's the big occasion. And, and increasingly, one sees a lot of goals like that at Wembley. Think about, you know, Townsend's goal for England. Think about, we're seeing these wonder strikes at Wembley. It must be something to do with the way that the air circulates, something to do with the turf, something to do with the way the ball flies. We're seeing great goals at Wembley again, Rog. Yeah, and then it was followed by another beauty from Samir Nasri, a signature nipple twist. First leg of the quadruple, yep. Manchester City, they ticked that box. They probably took even more pleasure seeing as it was just the League Cup from the fact that there's now an extra European place available and it might condemn Manchester United to the Europa League. Um, Pellegrini said, I don't think top players can be satisfied with one trophy. Will it be the only one for Manchester City this season, David? Yeah, I feel like they still are likely to win at least two. They're still in the FA Cup, Rog. They look like the you know best team still in the FA Cup. And um, they've already won one cup competition. So they've been there, done that. They're in that sort of that's, you know, headspace to go and do it again. They uh, have two games in hand. They win those two games in hand. They're top of the league by a mile in terms of goal difference. Um, and I still think they're favourites to win that. This could be a treble... I think the quadruple is a step too far. I'm not sure they're going to come back in the Champions League. I've got a feeling that is where they are going to come back. I see a magnificent... I see a feeling it, Dave. I feel a magnificent European night at the new camp. But then I listen to Pellegrini, and I do get a bit worried. He said after the game, I love pressure, so to manage a big team as Manchester United, 
And to have options is very good. He thinks he's the manager of Manchester United, David. More and more he's becoming the Premier League's George W. Bush. Fool me once, shame on you. Shame (laughs) on you. Fool me, you can't get fooled again. Uh, Over to the Premier League, Rog. Fulham 1, Chelsea 3. An early birthday present for me, Rog. A uh, flat first-half performance, to say the least, soon forgotten, as Andre Shirley, now officially my favourite German of all time, comes alive to strike a hat-trick. Campaign, 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 little horse, little horse, little horse. Another game, another unconvincing half of football for Chelsea. Struggling. This, by the way, may have been their worst half of football of the entire season. So bad that Mourinho, did you read, he didn't even give a half-time team talk. He just wouldn't even talk to his team. So he claims, he claims he uttered only one line. It's your S-H-I-T. Well, no, he didn't, out. he didn't even say he said that. Somebody else said that he said that. He said he didn't say anything to them. I honestly, I think Mourinho is watching a bit too much House of Cards. He's trying <laughs> to be a proper Francis Underwood. But, um, and, and Andrew Shirley, it's funny you mentioned that about your, your list. I thought, wonderful, you got a hat trick. Unbelievable, you got to take home the match ball. But perhaps, most significantly of all, has he fired your way to the top of your list of Germans we like? You got one of those right, David. Yeah, I do. Who's on it? Steffi Graf. Oh, I don't like him. I always love Steffi Graf's game. I'd say my tennis game, the closest, you know, she would kill me. But the, my game was always, when I would watch Steffi Graf play tennis, that was most like my tennis game in my prime. Well, I was more match. of a Betty Stover kind of player. Yeah. 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 I, I, I like Jürgen. Yeah, Robert Huth would be on my list. Christopher Waltz. Oh, yeah, I missed him. I like him. He's a good. Great actor. Hans Zimmer, the guy that does the Lion <laughs> King film composer. Oh, I love him. Thomas Hilfelsberger. Yeah. Uh, Nina, 99 Red Bull. Oh, Nina 96 oh. Luftballon. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when she came on top of the pops in England. Oh, she had. Oh, beautiful. And then there's one I, that we've never talked about. But when I, I did German, you spoke German. We can do a pot in German together, David. Yeah, mit nach gegenüber and vorbei. Yeah. That's why I caught off only self in Borden mit die Katzen. <laughs> I wasn't very good at German. I was not good, so I had to have a tutor. And my mum got me this one German, the good German, in Liverpool. Her name was Frau Grau. She was about 87, <laughs> and all I remember was being 14 and every week having to go to her house. It was like a... It was all dark woods and the little cuckoo clocks ticking. It was very austere. And I'd sit down at a table. She was an enormous woman. And she'd say, now, Roger, before we begin. And she'd very slowly lift up one breast after the other, an enormous breast, and then place it on the table. <laughs> and only once she'd deposit both of her extremely large breasts on the table could we begin to, like, move the The fact that your mother attention. sent you to an 87-year-old German for German tutoring is just brilliant. If you're still alive, Frau Grout, thank you, thank you. <laughs> she got me through your level. Yeah, uh, Martin Kamer, the German golfer, and Michael Ballack are also on my list of favourite Germans, without a doubt. Yeah, what good second-half performance. Shirley, you know, it's, I would say that he's been a player who Chelsea fans haven't quite known what to think of. We haven't really seen his best. And uh, now I don't think we're going to uh, forget him too easily. Um, that was a, It's great to see him come through. Two big things out of Chelsea this week. On the branding front, fascinating business deal, which I think really reflects the modern face of football, the deal they signed with 20th Century Fox to have an alliance with the Simpsons, which in, in, in all sincerity I find to be a 
brilliant creative move. Um, at BU Brace 41 tweeted, at Men in Blazers, I'm genuinely surprised John Terry hasn't tried to shag Marge yet. <laughs> but I am interested. I'm, I'm not trying to be funny, David. Yeah. But Crimea, the Russians, yeah. looking not so good on the world front right now. Do you have a fear that your team brand is going to be tarnished a little bit by this kind of ongoing Soviet kind of era expansionism boiling over again? Well, I don't know that I want to get too into, uh, you know, Roman's relationship with, with Putin, but it's a very, to, you know, it's complex, Roman Abramovich's relationship with the Russian regime, and it's changed over the years. So uh, I think there's been more fear of Roman being cut out and cut off by those guys rather than being too close to them, from what I know, from what I understand. So we're not going to see Chelsea running out through the tunnel to Russians love their children too on the tunnel any time soon? No, I think it's more likely that Roman, you know, this is why he lives in England and this is why, this is why he went there. Um, so they're going to be running so... out to Pussy Riot. Yeah, I think maybe. I don't know that it's going to go that far. But from what I understand, anyway, it's, a, it's a complex relationship. Um, Rog, meanwhile, up in Stoke, Stoke won Arsenal nil. Arsenal, this is the moment that everybody's been waiting for this season. It uh, really sort of finally happened. Not Arsenal fans. Arsenal's slow puncture of a season continues to lose air. Well, I would say this is the first time they really lost it as their Groundhog Day surrender to familiar foes Stoke City. Uh, that's a loss that sets them four points back from Chelsea and with the games in hand, potentially Man City as well. Tough game for them. Oh, God. I've got to say, we are living in a day, David, where very soon, I imagine the Oxford English Dictionary will announce as an official verb, which is to Arsenal, to Arsenal something. Just to kind of raise hopes, then dash them in... Groundhog Day excruciating style. It's almost like a contact virus they have with Stoke. Have you ever seen anything like it? They're winless in four straight league games, and they've only had one win in nine games there since 1982. We should say that Man City I think just got a point there, and Chelsea lost there as well this season. The Britannia, a very difficult place to go and, and play good football. But this has happened, you know, they're away form this season. And just look at the number of goals they've conceded away from home, Arsenal. This is what has been costing them so far and why many people, including ourselves since early in the season, have doubted their ability or doubted their true uh, champion credentials. Well, what was fascinating, though, about this day, though, is Stoke City did what Stoke City used to do. Stephen Nzonzi said it openly. He said, we realise the way to beat Arsenal is to, quote, kick them a little bit. And Oliver Giroud was at the end of most of those kicks. Charlie Adams has been charged with violent conduct by the FA. Um, he's going to stand up to the charges, I believe. Um, if I were him, I'd get Olivier Giroud's uh, wife to be a uh, character witness for Charlie Adams. I'm sure she loved watching the nefarious Giroud get a good kicking as much as anyone. I felt sorry for Lauren Koscielny when he was penalised for that handball. I think he's a lovely bloke. No Premier League defender has conceded more penalties than old Warren in the last four seasons. He's given away six. I guess it's the downside of his aggression a little bit, David. Yeah, without a doubt. I also think, I also think he just loves giving things away. Did you see? He did something very unfootball like last week. He, he acted philanthropically. 
he gave um, the, 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 the skinny little Frenchman who's got a face like a knife edge, he donated 600,000 euros to save an accordion factory in Tull. That's a pretty nice thing to do. I think it was a harsh penalty. One should say it was a harsh decision for the penalty, but you have seen them given. But it was just yeah. the lack of goal-scoring opportunities at the other end, which really cost Arsenal. Probably, I think they had no shots in the second half. But I think the real surprise about it was that it was an accordion factory. Yeah. <laughs> I, would have had, I would have had Koscielny down as a sousaphone player, either played by really fat kids or the really skinny ones. Did you play anything as a kid? Uh, French horn, piano. Bit of saxophone, bit of tenor sax, Rog. Bit of tenor sax in the in the, in the great saxophone era of the uh, of the early nineteen eighties. You like Phil Collins? You can play it all. I had three months of cello. My child prodigy years were very brief. We should get the band back together. <laughs> That's too good. Uh, Arsenal, by the way, Rog have still got to go to Chelsea. They've got to go to Everton. They've got to go to Hull, Norwich, and Tottenham Hotspur before uh, the end of the season. Those are if they're going to get back into. Uh, the hunt, they're going to have to get a lot of points out of those five yeah. away fixtures. You know, if I were an Arsenal fan, I'd look at the league, I'd say, Arsenal, four points back from Chelsea, team in crisis, question mark. Liverpool, four points back from Chelsea. Everyone's saying they're true title contenders. Four points, and there's four points, obviously, in this league, David, but Liverpool. Yeah, without a doubt. Very impressive from Liverpool, away at Southampton. Uh, Southampton also played some great football in this match as well, especially in the first half. But Liverpool put three past them. Uh, they dizzy the neutrals with their performance, Rog. Um, just some beautiful, beautiful football again from them. They remain unbeaten in 2014, and Brendan Rogers dares to dream. Luis Suarez, five games without a goal, drought over. 24th league goal of the season in his 100th Premier League appearance. He's got as many appearances as he has teeth. I love Stevie G's quote after the game. If teams want to play 2v2 against Suarez and Sturridge, all the best. Yeah. And look, the reason why we take Liverpool very seriously as title contenders is their away games, Rog, are against Cardiff, against Crystal Palace, uh, against Manchester United, which is, you've got to say that this is for the first time in years that I think Liverpool will go into that game as favourites at Man United. Yeah. Uh, Norwich... And West Ham United. So they've got some places where you can definitely see Liverpool going out uh, and winning. Uh, and their home games are tougher, but they have a chance to ruin the title ambitions of some of their rivals. They're playing Chelsea at home. They're playing Man City at home. Uh, then they've got Newcastle at home, Sunderland at home, and I think it's Tottenham at home. I mean, a tougher home schedule than away schedule, but you can just see Liverpool destroying it all. Yeah, but you know... I'd say this. I admire Liverpool. It is remarkable what they've done this season. And I, uh, to paraphrase Arsene Wenger in a positive way, I think a top-four finish is a trophy for this team. It's a massive, significant milestone. I mean, as part of this rebuild, rebuilding process that they've yearned for without ever coming close to, which is to come back as a power in England again, and become a true threat in Europe. And we're almost certainly going to pull it off already. And I think that is an unbelievable, arguably, the achievement of the season. All credit to Brendan Rodgers and to FSG, to Henry and Werner, who you have to say, over the handling of the Suarez, want away, meltdown ahead of uh, this season. As owners, they have wisely 
and prudently gone on this fast learning curve with the Premier League and stayed the course. Yeah, I was listening to, uh, over the weekend, sometimes on the channel, we're on on Sirius, on uh, 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 FC94, they play old shows, like old clips from the football show, old interviews from Counter-Attack. And they were playing something from last summer, which was an interview with a, uh, a Liverpool-based journalist talking about Liverpool in the season. And it just seemed what everybody was saying is that Liverpool were going to have to have... They hadn't had a very good transfer window. They were going to need a great January transfer window to stand any chance of finishing top four. And without a great January transfer window, they've really been superb. And, you know, we've talked a lot. Obviously, Suarez, Sturridge have done amazingly well. But it is these performances of Henderson and Sterling. Coutinho has come back, Rog. He's, like, come back from his sort of his sophomore doldrums and playing great football again. And Gerard, the much maligned Steven Gerrard, moving deeper and deeper, but just looking like a match winner every week right now. Uh, across to the blue side of Liverpool, Rog, Everton won, West Ham nil. Everton's love affair with Romelu Lukaku continues. Chelsea's most oh. potent striker strolls on as a second-half substitute to score Everton's first league goal in 28 days. That is amazing. Tim Howard chips in with his 10th clean sheet of the season. Yeah, I mean, um, much-needed three points. Um, b- before kick-off, our record since Tim Howard fouled Sunderland's Keesung Young is nine games and just 11 points. And for long stretches, it looked like we were going to do what we've been doing, which is dominate possession without conjuring menace. And then on came Lukaku, back from injury, a late substitute. He's had an odd season. He had that potent start. He's looked tired. He's looked tired. He's looked tired um, over the past two months. And the question is, can he now resummon his physical glory, because Everton are going to need it. And a lovely, 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 and I'd love an assessment from your perspective, from a Chelsea perspective, but it was a lovely interview with Didier Drogba this week about Lukaku, who said, I know I'm his idol, we get on well, it's flattering to see that he, Lukaku, identifies with me. But then he, he said, listen, he's very big, he's tougher than me, he has qualities I don't. He's both saying... He started off with saying we're different players, see him as an individual. But then he went beyond that and he said, at the age of 19, he was at Chelsea. I was just at Le Mans. So he's hinting that this guy, Lukaku, is going to be even greater than his legend. How do you see him, Dave, from a Chelsea perspective? I think he's still very, very young. And uh, I wouldn't assume for a second that Chelsea are going to take him back from being on loan at Everton. He's uh, started a lot of games. He's played a lot of minutes. He's scored a lot of goals. Chelsea, and depending on how they do in the league, have done pretty well without him this year as well. They're sitting top of the league as we pod. Um, Chelsea might give him another year. And I think Everton has been a very, very good home for for him, playing under exactly the right manager in Martinez. He needs another year. But I'll tell you what worries me. I'm starting to see our destination at the end of the season, Dave, and I don't like it. The Europa League, the poison chalice. Death, destruction for Swansea, Newcastle, even Spurs this season. The the Europa League reminds me of a night absinthe drinking. You think it's a great idea, but then you you wake up in the morning and think very, very differently about it. (laughs) Is it better to endure slumping losses, Dave? Even though you you know I hate slumping losses at the end of the season and fall out of the Europa League places and regird for next season's attack on Champions League proper, what would you recommend? 
I actually think the Europa League is a great stepping stone to Champions League football. I think you need that experience. I think Martinez needs that experience. And uh, I think it'll be good for the squad and good for the team. I don't um, believe a word that you just said. I don't know. I really believe it. I think Chelsea, by the way, got a lot last season out of the Europa League. And I think it's made them a better squad for this season. Uh, made them a better team. They showed great mental toughness, and they, uh, they they got a great trophy out of it last year. So I think it's uh, I think it's actually very very important. And I think we've seen a lot of managers, we've seen a lot of teams go to the Europa League and use that as a stepping stone to being even better next year. Um, Rog, finally, I'm not even sure we're going to talk much about the football. Hull won Newcastle four. <laughs> Newcastle regained their goal scoring muscle memory. Yet in true Geordie form, the win is overshadowed by manager Alan Pardew electing to headbutt. Well, it wasn't really a headbutt. He just got in there with his head. Hull player David Mailer <laughs> in surreal 72nd minute fashion. There are headbutts and headbutts. That was an implied headbutt more than a headbutt. I don't understand that. When I heard, everyone was, oh, Alan Pardew headbutted. There was a headbutt. There was a butt. And I, I'll be honest, I jumped to watch it. I clicked on the link. And it was a footballing headbutt. The kind of, I mean, these headbutts only exist in football. I don't understand why, David. If let's say you're in a fight in a chip shop in Liverpool after the pubs are closed, you you wouldn't come with that Alan Pardew headbutt, would you? No, without a doubt, you wouldn't. So having said that, there's the argument that if you did it in the workplace, you'd be fired. That's what everyone's saying. Why does he get away with it? I mean, to some degree, the defence, I, if I were Pardew, I'd say Daniel Day-Lewis did it to Leonardo DiCaprio in Gangs in New York. Well, look, look, the nomination for it. Yeah, and look what Mourinho did at Real Madrid. Was that last season or the season before? Uh, to the assistant manager of Barcelona. Yeah. The eye poke. Um, no silverware for Alan Pardew. I think he was just trying to claim the hardest EPL manager award for men in blazers. We got a nice uh, email from Jeff Alexander from the crap part of Gramercy. How would you rate Alan Pardew's headbutt against New, uh, for Newcastle in the all-time EPL manager violence rankings? What happened to the Premier League managerial fight club? My money and my late-night dreams were made on Big Sam. The truth is, there are so many changes. There are so changes within changes that we just lost <laughs> control of our matrix. We had to cancel it. Although, yeah, we did. It was just too much change. But if you were to pick one manager who would win it all, I'm pretty sure I know who that would be. What, Felix McGath? Yes! <laughs> I mean, why? Of <laughs> yes. course Felix McGath would win the whole thing. Are you kidding me? The most sinister-looking man of in the history of sinister men. Yeah, I agree with you. There is no debate. <laughs> Absolutely no debate. Okay, Rog, I now need you to time travel back to before... Yeah. I managed to get you on the phone in Cyprus. We had some problems getting you on the phone. Uh, and uh, I donkeys had, nibbling on the line, <laughs> I had to get feral, feral donkeys will always do that to phone <laughs> lines. So, uh, so I got Rebecca Lowe uh, uh, on my own. She was on a train, apparently, uh, traveling down uh, from Connecticut to New York. We got her on the train, and here's the interview. Okay, joining us now on the pod... Back from Sochi. She's safe. She is well. I know that everyone is very relieved out there in English Premier League soccer land in America. Fellow alumna, alumnus, alumni of the Mercersburg Academy. I mean, a woman who we will say we knew her when, Rebecca Lua. Welcome back to Men in Blazers. <laughs> 
chat. Sorry. <laughs> well, Rog, look, I have to tell you, I have to disappoint you. Rog, we're, oh, we're no. pre-recording this before we actually do our pod. And Rog right now, who is covering the United States men's national team versus Ukraine, fortunately, it's not... What was that, Rebecca Love? That, was that your spontaneous <laughs> reaction to, to the word Ukraine? <laughs> anyway, Rog was meant to go to Ukraine. They've moved the game, as you well know, to Cyprus. Yeah. Rog is somewhere between Germany and Cyprus right now. And oh, don't freak out, but we have lost touch with Rog. We're trying desperately <laughs> to get in touch with him. We've called hotel rooms. Messages have been left. Um, oh, no. We're not quite sure what's going on. Anyway, we're going to track down Rog. Okay. But, Rebecca, welcome back from Russia. Thank you. Um, I heard sensational reviews of your work. I, I read on <laughs> Twitter. Heard. Yeah, I read on Twitter that... Um, that the NBC Sports, you've only gone up in the estimation of NBC Sports oh. executives. Oh. But my first question, were you actually yeah. ever on television? <laughs> Are you telling me, Michael Davis, <laughs> you didn't get up at 3 a.m.? Well, any day, not, uh, not at 3 a.m., any day. Not, me, I didn't, but I did record some of it, and I was right. fast-forwarding through the biathlon. <laughs> but I didn't, uh, I didn't find you anywhere. No? Okay, I, we well, were sent some thumbnails. First question, how was the uh, how was the hairstyling situation in Sochi? The hairstyling situation was was fine. It was it was different in that I you know, I kept it pretty pretty standard. I think the Olympic Games is pretty serious stuff. Um, not that the Premier League isn't, but you know, we're pretty standard now I think with the hairstyling. We're gonna we're gonna be quite consistent, I think that's the word. Looking for some consistency. Yeah, that's very good. Did you consider catching the eye infection, dyeing your hair black, doing any of those kind of things? It would have it would have moved you up the roster? Cross my mind. Yeah. Cross my mind. Yeah. Poor, poor Bob. Oh my goodness, that was awful. I saw him on one of the first days in the week leading up to actually when everything started, and I was there for the week before. And I saw him at breakfast. He was absolutely fine. And then it just—I mean, how's your luck? The day before you start prime time, and he comes down with that. Oh, I felt terribly sorry for him. And then I didn't see him again. No one saw me, and I didn't see anybody. So tell me about your living situation over there in Sochi. How is your Maybe. hotel room? I, d- I mean, I know there's been some really bad reports from lots of journalists stuff, but I have to say, NBC do everything properly. It is proper class. The hotel was amazing. It had a sea view, a view of the Black Sea. Yeah. Um, it was it was, fa- it was fabulous. A great hotel, great. Everything was, honestly, everything, in my opinion, my experience, was second to none. You, uh, you, you've, really drink, you've really drunk the Russian Kool-Aid at this point. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you about the, uh, about the occupation of the Crimea right now. I'm scared about what you might say. So, um, <laughs> souvenirs. Did you bring back any souvenirs from Sochi? Um, no, I wouldn't say... I, I contemplated buying one of those dolls, you know, the ever-opening yeah. ever dolls. But then I just thought, oh, that's a bit cliched. And I, I wasn't really... We, didn't, we weren't really allowed to a lot of places. So I would just go sort of hotel to the NBC studios and then I'd go and watch an event and that was basically what I did. I didn't ever get any have any rubles on me. I didn't ever buy anything. It was it was you know, it was it, I'm not sure there's a lot to buy. Can I put it that way? <laughs> and so no, not for a girl who loves Topshop. What were the <laughs> um and so the uh, your sports memories of the games. What were the what what were the what were the best sports um, memories for you of the Winter okay. Olympics? Okay, so there was uh, there was three. The ones that I did for um, in the kind of United States kind of section of my mind would be Meryl Davis and Charlie White winning gold on the ice skating, and then I, they got to they came into the studio. I got to interview them at three a.m. US time, um, so you missed that. Again. Yeah. 
Um, but it was really lovely, and they were really nice. And that was a big moment. I was actually there watching them win, so that was big. Um, I really enjoyed the hockey game, the final women, the women's hockey game between Canada and the USA. I know all Americans will hate me for saying I enjoyed it because USA were... I think they were two nil up with it, or two nothing up, as I'm supposed to say, with hockey, um, with about three and a half minutes to go, and then they drew to all, went to extra time or overtime or whatever it's called, and then the Canada people, uh, Canada people, the Canada people, yeah. Canada players, they came back and won like three. T- it was just, it was just like, how can you possibly? Um, hang on, the, the guys just come to check, get my ticket on the okay, train. Okay, you're on the train. <laughs> Very good. You, I, we don't want anything to happen to you. We don't want you to be arrested and put in jail in Connecticut. Oh, it's all right. He's just realised he's already taken okay, my good. ticket. Anyway, interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah, and then how can you basically, you know, be that completely two, two and a half with three and a half minutes to go and lose in the final? Oh, well, you've been a palace. Drama. You've been a palace fan your whole life. You understand that? <laughs> yeah, but the US women's like hockey players better yeah. than palace. Yeah, they, they are. At, maybe I mean, at football. <laughs> possibly so. So that was that was a big drama. And then, of course, of course, the national treasure of Great Britain that is Lizzie Arnold on the skeleton winning gold. Did yeah, you that watch was a, that, David? Yeah. Did you watch that? I did watch some of that in replay, but I didn't see you around it. Um, I, I, got, probably... I got her on the show. I got her on the show. Wow. I begged. It was the only non-American I got her on the show. Yeah, she's from down our way. She's from Maidstone. She is. She's from Dan Kent, and now she lives near where I used to live in Wiltshire. And I was offering her my house to rent, and we're literally BFFs now. <laughs> Best friends. She'll Honestly, be on the Premier League coverage. So, how did you follow the Premier League while you were away? That's really the burning question. I mean, yeah, clearly it's the most important one. With, with a little difficulty because of the time difference was the main problem. Um, so I would kind of get into my hotel and go to bed at like 11 and then the games would just be starting. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just watch them. And I, you know, I was having a lot of late nights trying to catch up and watch and stuff. Um, I didn't watch as much as I would like to have done, but I, I always have British radio station talk sport on when I'm in the US and I'm like wandering around the house. And when I was in the hotel in Russia, I had it on as well because, you know, it's kind of wall-to-wall football and it's just talk. So I just, I just absorbed everything all the time. So when I wasn't doing Winter Olympics, I was listening about to Premier League football and listening to everybody talk about it. So I kind of kept a, on top of everything, but I didn't get to see as much as I would have liked to. So two men replaced you. Well, it came attempted to replace you while you were gone. One yeah. of them, one of them was a bald man named John Strong. Nothing against yeah. bald men. Roger and I are hardly people to speak on that matter. No. And there was another guy as well who I can't remember his name. Steve. Steve Fowler. Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I remember him. And yeah. uh, the did you speak since you've been back in Connecticut and back at NBC Studios? Have you spoken to any of your hairstyling people about John Strong? Because were they still paid on days that John Strong was anchoring the Premier League broadcast? And what did they do? Do they shine his head? Do they pat it down? Do they put on talcum powder? How do they deal with that? It's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I haven't yet spoken to the person who did that, but I should definitely try and find out and let you know what they did all day. I mean, yeah, there wouldn't have been a lot to do. Yeah. No, not not a great deal. And so, uh, and did Carl Martino and the boys, did they, uh, the the, the Robbies, Uh, did they miss you? I, well, I think so. I really miss them. It was, I have to say, this past weekend, I was like a kid starting school again. You know, when you're in, you got had your holidays, and you're like, right, I'm enough of holidays now. I want to go back to work. And it was just brilliant. I absolutely loved it this past weekend, seeing Robbie and Kyle, and back with everybody, and back with the football, and just sort of just how it should be. It was brilliant. You were talking about someone this weekend and being substituted and not exactly looking chuffed when he went off. And I could feel America going to their, uh, their British slang dictionaries, desperately oh, trying to really? look up what chuffed meant. Oh, no. Do they not say that? No, nobody says chuffed. 
but I like the fact that now, by the way, this is a mark of your rising stock at NBC that nobody uh, mentioned that to you at NBC because they're all afraid no. of you now. No, there are some things I do almost say, and then they, I just check with them and phrases and stuff, and they do always say like, "No, we said don't say that." Or yes, we do. Like you know, like willy nilly. They don't say willy nilly. Why don't they say that? <laughs> I, well, I, we should, you know, we of all the phrases that we've brought to the English language, willy nilly would not be the one <laughs> oh, I would be I fighting for. No, I love willy nilly. I mean, you can do anything willy nilly. You can score gold willy nilly. You can make saves willy nilly. You know what I mean? Uh, by the way, I've got great news for you, Rebecca Love. <laughs> yeah. Roger Bennett, we have tracked him down. He is now no. on the phone. Uh, I'm oh not quite sure where he is. We're going to patch him in right now. Just okay, hold for one later. second, a second, Rebecca. We do. We we don't have Roger. We had him oh. for a second, Rebecca, and oh, then no. he disappeared again. Oh Lord, that's terrible. This is quite an international incident. It really is. Anyway, let's talk about the football for a second. Anyway, so yeah. this weekend. Yeah. You know, since you've been gone, you know, <laughs> it's been a lot of talk about big horses and little horses. Yeah. And uh, really, this it was a three-horse race. Then it became a four-horse race. And now we have no idea how many horses are in no. this race. I mean, have you Quite ever witnessed? I know. Have you, well, without the, without the fences. But maybe yeah, each true. game is one of wow. those giant... It's like Beechers, whatever. Yes, it is Beechers Brook. They just keep falling. So do you remember any Premier League season like this? Surely your crack no. research staff have gone back and looked at the Premier League since the 1990s and tried to find a season that was something like this. Yeah, they have. No, we've all decided this has to be the greatest season so far. Now, obviously, a couple of years ago when Aguero scored the goal and Man City won the last bit, that, that will maybe go down as the, the greatest final day. But in terms of the season and sitting here now, no one can say who's going to win the league. I actually think for the first time in a long time, I think winning the league is harder to predict than relegation, which normally is harder if they're harder one to pick. So, no, I mean, how good is it? It's great. And yet you say that, and yet... There's still a one-team mid-table with Southampton in it. I know, isn't that hilarious? I and, know. And everybody else is in danger of being relegated. In fact, that's you've true, got... Yeah. What's it? You've got 11 teams within 10 points of the bottom. And you've only got five teams within 10 points of the top. But the problem is, is that most of the top teams are not dropping points. So how do you handicap it? Look, I know, I know you're a journalist. You've got to be objective. But looking at momentum, which is very, very important, how do you look at it right now? Oh, goodness. I think, I think momentum. How many games we've got left? Today? We've got about 11, 10, 11 games left? Uh, 11 we've, games got, left we've got 10 games Ish. left. 10 games yeah, left. 28 games more. played, 10 to go. Yeah. But Man City have got 12 games left. Yeah, it's got to be about momentum. And, and it, I hate to say it, but Arsenal is going in the wrong direction. But then I just think... But then I look at Liverpool and I think, no, surely. Really? Can they really do it? Can they really... I mean, they've got... If, I just I think you can't predict it. I don't think you can you can even begin to explain it, predict it, give it any kind of understanding because you can write Arsenal off as everyone has done so many times and they could win the next three Liverpool could lose or they could easily lose two of their next three Liverpool. So could Chelsea. Why? Because everyone else is beating everyone else. So I don't think you could say, right, that's it now. That is it. Arsenal on the way down, Liverpool on the way up, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, three horse race. You can't say that. You just can't say that because there's weird results every week. And Chelsea are very capable of dropping points at, at places that you wouldn't expect them to be. And so are Man City, as we've seen, and then how will the League Cup victory affect Man City? And you, it's just impossible. And I'm not even going to go try to understand it. Do you think that you've learned? I mean, it's not that you haven't covered football before. You've covered a lot of, a lot of football before. But this season, every single game, every week, anchoring the studio show, covering every single game for an entire nation. Do you feel like you've learned a lot about football this year? 
or learn something new about football that you didn't yeah. know? Yeah, definitely. Um, do you think I've learned something that I didn't know? Probably lots of little things. I think it helps sitting next to the chat at the studio because during each half, what they do is they are in a conversation with our guys behind the scenes who are making half-time analysis. And they pick stuff out. Now, we don't always get to use the stuff they pick out because we don't often have as much time as we'd like at half-time and full-time. But tactical stuff. And they and I ask them to explain a lot of it to me because tactics, tactics side of things. I've never played the game. I've only played the game for two terms. Um, and then I ripped my hamstrings off, which is not good. We never, um, we never got like, that story. Uh, ends up in a wheelchair around the campus. Unbelievably dramatic. A little bit over-dramatic, actually. Um, so, yeah, so I never really played. So I, I've got loads, loads to learn every week. I mean, my husband is a former player and a manager, so he, I, if I have any, have any questions, I can ask him as well. But just working, like you say, watching every day, week by week by week, I've just, it's just been what an honour and what a treat to be able to do that and listening to the guys next to me and learning off them, really. But in terms of learning from watching all of that football... I think I've just watched so much football in my whole life that I just, I think every week you learn different stuff. And then, yeah, every week. Have you noticed, I mean, obviously this is the first year that NBC have the Premier League. They were very excited to have it, but I think it's performed even better than they thought in their wildest dreams it was going to perform. Have you seen a change in the atmosphere at NBC Sports about soccer? Yes, definitely. When I got to Sochi and I walked into the NBC International Broadcast Centre, which is this huge, amazing, logistically amazing place, I walked in, and there were people I'd never met in the nine months. Yeah, the nine months I've been at NBC came up to me and said whether or not they didn't know anything about soccer, and now they do, and now they have a team, or whether they've always loved it. They came up to me and said how much they love the coverage, and 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 I think I have. I've noticed it over the months because we were maybe a bit of an island before because we do funny hours at the weekend, and when we go in the studio, nobody's there, and it's a and it's you know it's not the biggest sport in America yet. But now it feels like we are such a huge part of NBC and they make us feel like that as well. And everybody everybody just seems to be loving it. And I think, I think yeah, I've definitely seen a shift over time, for sure. Um, the, uh, Roger, by the way, has just, has just uh, texted me a question because he's having problems with his... Uh, he is okay, everybody, but he's, he's having a problem with his phones in his hotel. But this is his uh, question. I want, this is Rod writing to me. I wanted to know from Rebecca, after direct experience of the high quality of Russian hair products in Sochi, did it change your opinion on who really won the Cold War? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I am not even going down any avenues with regard. Yeah. With regards yeah, this to is this is this is why Roger is one of the great interviewers in in American media right now. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so Rebecca, so now ten games left in the season. Do yeah. NBC? Uh, so how does this affect? Do they change their schedule? Are they gonna? Um, are we gonna see different games on television that you might have planned before? How do you yeah. deal with a four horse race at NBC and eleven teams in a relegation I battle? I know. Well, obviously, you can still see every game that you want to see every weekend, but the ones that we pick, so our 10 a.m. game on a Saturday morning, we don't have to pick that until the previous weekend is all done. So this coming weekend, we're going to show Cardiff against Fulham because, I mean, why would you not? It's going to be incredible, that game. It's a must-win, almost. It's a must-win. I mean, it's just massive. And and I think this is really important because there's no relegation in the United States um, sports. We're trying, what, what, what part of our big plan this season was to try and focus as much on relegation as it is top of the league because we need to, I think, explain that maybe to some people who, who don't, aren't used to relegation because what a beautiful thing it is in lots of ways in terms of what it adds to the league. 
So I think we we're going to be doing big games like that, and we'll just we'll, we'll just decide as each week goes by which ones we think. I mean, we don't have a lot of control because we have to take whichever in every slot except for that 10 a.m. on a Saturday. We take whichever television um, company, BT or Sky in England, whichever game they pick. So our only editorial choice is a 10 a.m. on a Saturday, and we will always decide that after the previous weekend. So hopefully we'll get that right. You don't always get that right. You might get a rubbish game, or you might go, you might take Arsenal, and then you wish you'd done City. But you know, we will always get the other game if we can we can always swap so that is a great um, bit of power that we've got and it's interesting isn't it that Manchester United who've historically been the most popular you know yeah. team in the United States certainly in terms of television ratings yeah Manchester United is sitting in seventh place not necessarily in any fight right now other than for their own other than to get into the Europa League which I'm not even sure that they really care about um, and so those games of course are going to be still a lot of people are going to want to go and watch United they are, they are, because, like you say, they're the most popular club. And also, I think it's almost like a rubbernecking effect with what's happening to David Moyes. People just want to see it. People who aren't Man United fans want to see it. Because if you're my generation, or old, well, certainly my generation, I've grown up with United being the dominant force for as long as I can remember. My entire life, that's, you know, from 1990 onwards, that's what I remember. And now to see what's happening is like, it is a bit like you kind of want to watch it. You want to see what Moyes does. You want to see how he reacts. You want to hear from him the whole time. So while you've got the United fans who want to watch them anyway, and you've got everyone else, I think, a lot of people don't like Manchester United and want to see what's going on there. So it's kind of like an unfolding soap opera, which will still get loads of viewers because they are United and what's happened to them. So you've got no more travel plans until the end of the season, I hope. You're going to be there for every weekend. (laughs) No, that's it. I'm done. Every weekend, every match, we've got to have loads of midweek games as well because they've all been postponed for the League Cup and the FA Cup. So I think we're going to, in April and May, or certainly in April, we're going to have a lot of Tuesday Wednesdays as well. So there's going to be tons of football between now and May, May the 11th. And by the way, May the 11th, 10 games all at the same time. Can you imagine a better day? I mean, imagine if it's still like this. Are there going to be 10 Rebecca Lowe's doing those 10 games all at the same time on different <laughs> networks? Or are you yeah. going to have to do very quick wardrobe changes like your days in the theatre? <laughs> You really do need to try 10 different outfits and 10 different hairstyles, and you have to just move between them the whole time. <laughs> okay, like Superwoman. Can, yeah. we, can we just quickly discuss Mercersburg? Can we quickly discuss the Irving Marshall? Think yeah, no Irving Marshall that. week, uh, when the whole school is divided into red, Irving, and blue Marshall. In one of the freaks of my life, when I've always been a blue person, every school I've been to has been blue, every team I support yeah. wears blue. I was red at Mercersburg. Yeah. I was in Irving. Um, last week we read on the pod Charlie Bell. Do you remember Charlie Bell? He sent uh, he sent Rog the uh, report from the Mercersburg yeah. newspaper of my win in declamation, and Rog uh, Rog, Rog announced <laughs> that we, we talked all about it on the air. <laughs> Irving, though, uh, going through something of a poor streak right now, oh. Rebecca. You're Irving as oh, well. Dad. I know. I think they've lost seven of the last eight years, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. I think we need to go. We need to go back and uh, next year and try and inspire Irving at Mercersburg yeah, to, uh, to to definitely. win. They need to fire their manager. Whoever is running Irving. It's Moisey. It's like the it's, <laughs> it's one of them. One of two. Yeah, yeah, not one in eight years. Um, Rebecca, thanks so much for coming back on Many Blazers. Great to have you back. On behalf of all uh, US fans of the uh, of the Premier League, we're so delighted to have you back. It wouldn't Aww. be the final 11 games of the season without you, 12 for <laughs> Manchester City. Um, and uh, it's nice that you still pretend to travel by train like a regular person as you're being a chauffeur driven in the back of your Maybach down to uh, NBC Studios. I am on a train. With somebody making honking sounds in the background to make it seem more authentic.
Anyway, welcome back, Rebecca. Uh, we'll be watching you on television this Saturday. Oh, thank you. Send my love to Roger if you find him. Oh, let's hope. Okay, fingers crossed. Okay. Bye. Bye. What a woman, Roger. I'm so sad we never got you. Oh, but you know what? That is enlightening. <laughs> she, is, she is enlightening. I still wish, I still great, greatly regret that I never got to see her uh, on television at the Winter Olympics. I'm getting very worried that NBC Sports thinks so much of her that she's going to get taken off the Premier League. Oh, she's one of the great ones. She really is. She's like a Dana Plato for a new generation. <laughs> No doubt about it. Okay, Roger. You know, by the way, we, we, got, we got a great tweet from uh, at Kirk, who says, "At Men in Blazers, I need you to know that sounds you, Davo, mate, when you say the vowel part of Rebecca Lua. surname." He said that's the proper way to start Meza Urzil's surname. It is Urzil, Urzil, Meza Urzil, Urzil. Well, we have to we'll have to go for that. Okay, Rod Ravens from Drew Seaman in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where, uh, where Rog met Mrs. B. Uh, dearest yeah. Michael and Rog, Manchester United may have lost six games in the last two months, but where it matters most, they're still at the top of the table. I'm referring, of course, to the fields of FIFA 14, where the latest roster update has United at 85-80-80 overall front to back. That gives them the same attack rating as City and puts the decaying body of Rio Ferdinand <laughs> one point ahead of Phil Jagielka. My question in two parts. One, is there anything David Moyes could possibly do to make FIFA drop his side's rating? Two, if you're controlling next week's FIFA roster update, how lowly does United deserve to be? Oh, from GFOP, Drew Seaman. Great question. I we mean, might. since we last podded, I mean, the Olympiakos game, I mean, we know Greek football is like the new German football. But that was, every time you think there's a new low, David, somehow David Moyes takes that squad ever, ever lower. Yeah, that was the worst performance I remember Manchester United since the year that they were relegated to the second division. They're like a friend in the swimming pool who's kind of making everyone laugh by fake drowning. And then there's always a horrible moment when you're not sure if they're still pretending or not. And that's how I feel about United. I mean, we have to say, no Champions League for United does not hurt United like it would do a normal team financially. They're built through brand sponsorships, an absolute cash machine. And while Gary Neville went out last week and said, Moyes has time because United are timeless, I don't believe that in this new kind of New York Stock Exchange menu era. But there is light at the end of the tunnel, and it comes in a weird way for me. We read a beautiful news article together um, on Friday, Davo, when Sir Alex Ferguson, I don't know what motivated him to reveal this, but he, the secret of his success was revealed to The Guardian on Friday. Which was? Being beaten with a belt by his favourite <laughs> school teacher when he stepped out of line as a schoolboy. Yeah, and he actually has that belt framed in his, uh, in his office or in his house. Ferguson, 72, says he now has the belt in his study at home after it was left to him by Elizabeth Thompson. That was his teacher before she died, he said to The Guardian. Six from that belt, and you're in absolute agony. That was a punishment you had. Um, and essentially, that's why he feels the man he does today, that he was beaten absolutely savagely. So I suggest he breaks the glass on that beautiful belt from Elizabeth Thompson, and that's a quiet word with Daisy Moyes. Were you ever caned in school, David? Uh, I think we talked about this on the radio show. I was plimp-sold with a, uh, 
with sort of a, a sneaker in gym class, yeah, by Mr. Gardner. Oh, did you feel like Lawrence of Arabia in a Turkish prison when you suddenly realised you actually liked the torture? I was wrongly accused, so I did feel, feel a great sense of injustice. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was sort of par for the course. I mean, school was so horrible. All boys, 850 boys, going there at 11 was one of the great shocks of my life. And uh, it just sort of like par for the course. You got used to sort of institutional torture. It was just part of daily life. And Americans find it very weird to know that every teacher at the great Liverpool College walked around the classroom with a beating stick. Some had a very thin bamboo cane. I'm thinking about you, Mr. Bishop. Some had a metal ruler. Mr. Fletcher used to walk around biology and just wrap children over the back of the head for no reason. You foolish boy, metal ruler, over the back of the head. And that was just the way of life. Part of the reason that we, uh, we probably bond together, Dave. We were like a little battered puppy shelter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were beaten so severely. Um, <laughs> uh, dear Roger and Michael, you let slip on the 226 podcast that all 17 of your children, oh, this is to me, have birthdays this weekend. I can't help but notice that the end of February is almost precisely nine months after the end of the prior year's, prior year's Premier League. Oh, bollocks, I don't have a question. Cheers, Scott Kenny, GFOP. <laughs> yeah, interesting, but I think purely a coincidence. Really? They all, they're not Chelsea celebration babies? No, although my son has now learned all three verses to Blue is the Colour, including... Come to the shed and we'll welcome you <laughs> where you're blue. It's just one of the great lyrics, great ironic lyrics in, uh, in, in all the football songs. Um, say, being an Everton fan, I don't have uh, kind of a me and the missus moment to enhance our passion through football because we don't really win anything. <laughs> uh, so we, we, make do, we make do with August 9th, the anniversary of Philip Larkin's birth in 1922. That's the, that's the day most of my children are born nine months after. Okay, Roger, weekend looks like this. Arsenal versus Everton, Saturday, March 8th, 7.30am Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. Uh, we know what the 10am game on, a, on NBC on Saturday is, Rog. It's 19th versus 20th, Cardiff versus Fulham. Uh, and then Chelsea versus Tottenham, Saturday, March 8th, 12.30pm Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. That's another big game. The MLS and MLS is back, Rog. Seattle versus Sporting Kansas City, Saturday, March 8th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. That's amazing. You can go from watching... Uh, you can go from watching... Wait a minute. Oh, so it's Arsenal versus Everton. Is that the cup game on Saturday, March yeah, 8th on Fox Sports mate. 1? Then the you go one. into Chelsea versus Tottenham in the league on the NBC Sports Network. Actually, going to Cardiff-Fulham. Then you go into Chelsea versus Tottenham, and then you've got Seattle versus Sporting Kansas City. There's nothing else to do on Saturday but watch football. We're just watching football all day. That's so good. We are going to preview MLS um, very, very shortly. I'll just say it's a fascinating season. Not only the rise of this Toronto team, Michael Bradley propelled, but with his return, just how many MLS players are now the spine of this U.S. team. MLS season... To me, Dave, it's like the prequel for the World Cup. That's very true. That's very true. We've got to watch. Uh, Rog, our Emporium choices this week, uh, in which we're both now both posting what we're reading, listening to, watching, or just using at, at home. Uh, what have you put in the uh, Emporium this week? I feel very heavy about Ukraine and the specter of war in Europe, Dave. I have to admit, I, in all sincerity, I do. Um, my book this week is Wilfred Owen by Guy Cuthbertson. It's a new biography. Uh, that's come out of the great World War I poet 
the Financial Times did a beautiful review of it on Sunday, which is why I brought in Reddit. They said it's a fan's biography. It's ardent, dreamy, and at times a touch swooning. What a bloke he is. It's a must-read for anyone who adores men and thinking and romance and truth and death. And if Matthew McGonaghy needs a real role model, he should just read this book. Uh, Rog, that's uh, beautiful. It's poetic. It's literary. It's intellectual. I, on the other hand, you know, you know how I feel about breakfast, Rog. I enjoy breakfast. It's the best meal of the day. Uh, And there's nothing nobler. There's nothing more satisfying to eat for breakfast than the most noble of all eggs, and that, Rog, is the poached egg. And I heartily recommend the XL Steel 18 slash 10 stainless four nonstick egg poacher that I'm putting in the Emporium this week. I love poaching eggs, Rog. Just put a little bit of butter in a little poaching dish, whap them in. I like four and a half minutes, so they're still a bit runny in the middle. You can sometimes go 4.45, sometimes go 5. It's not a disaster. Whip them out, put them on a piece of toast, uh, maybe a little bit of parsley, a little bit of, uh, you know, anything chives, anything you want to go and put on your eggs. Oh, magic. Nothing nobler than the poached egg, Rog. I think poached egg is the most underrated egg. I did think about... For In my rankings next... of eggs, poached egg would be number one by a mile. I honestly... God, I did think for our next kind of maybe a holiday product that we, we did the survival kit, yeah. I did think about coming out of a Men in Blazers egg poacher, David. Yeah. Well, it'd be tough. It, we, may, we may well have to partner with XL Steel because they make a very, very good one. It's a very good steel, I should say, if you're listening, XL Steel. <laughs> uh, you can download our newly released album. Well, it's not really newly released anymore, Rog. It topped the comedy charts on iTunes right before Christmas. Men in Blazers Unbuttoned. Now, that's what I call suboptimal. You can do that at meninblazers.com, plus look at all the other stuff we're posting. Follow us on Twitter at MC Davies, at Roger Bennett, at Men in Blazers. Uh, like us on Facebook. You can email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can send your ravens, as always, to the crap part of Soho or to Cyprus. The, uh, the, the, the feral donkey-infested uh, part of Cyprus. Uh, Rog, travel safely. Good luck. I hope this game goes ahead for you. I really want it and to. And we'll be back on Sirius on Friday together, David. Can't wait. Vendapunkt. Oh, war pig. Boom, patterns. Uh, dominate. Courage. Size the day. Is that your analysis? Kung Fu Fight in America. Love I love you, you David. Well, you too, Rog. Okay, I'll be the same pet. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.